We are in the middle of a series called Women of the Bible. It's actually called Volume 2 because we actually started this series a couple years ago, and uh, we really enjoyed it. We kind of wanted to revisit it again last year, but we didn't do it, and this year we wanted to do it, and we're like, we're definitely going to do it this year. There's so many amazing stories uh, to, to walk through, and so uh, that's the reason that it's called Volume 2, but we walked through three reasons why the series kind of originated, why we wanted to do this particular take on a series. The first and foremost was that because women are awesome, right? Women? All right. Women are awesome, and so um, we want to celebrate that. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of today's culture uh, where we sort of feel the need in order to exalt one and to lift one of the sexes up, we have to tear down and dumb down another sex. And so I really don't like that. And so part of it is that we want to be able to celebrate uh, the women of the Bible because women are awesome. The other reason, part of that is that women give us a full picture of the character and beauty of God. Ever since God created man and woman, we were made in his image and his likeness. And there's just specific things that are really highlighted in men and highlighted in women that are different in terms of the fullness of the character of God. And he did that on purpose. And so uh, you can't only have this one lens and you won't catch the full picture. You can't have this other lens and not catch the full picture. So because of that, we wanted to be able to just kind of say, listen, you know, the, the men and women were created equal in worth and value. They might have been had a little bit of a different role and function, um, but there's no need to tear down one to lift up the other. We really do believe that we are unique in the way that God created us and our purpose and our design and, our, and, and again, equal in our value. The third, though, is the other reason is that oftentimes women are overlooked in religious systems. And that's not just Christianity. That's religious systems, period. Uh, women are often overlooked. And so I, even though I believe that the heart of Christ and the heart of Christianity uh, was to not do that, um, you can tell by church history that we have a long way to go and miles and miles and miles to learn uh, how to better understand, again, the uniqueness and the beautiful picture of both men and women in his church. And so the series is kind of designed specifically around finding a female character and, and letting them be the root and letting them be sort of the focus of a morning where all of us can learn what God did through her, what God did through th this character, and how it can challenge us. All right. So th today is going to be another great example of a young, uh, young wife all right, the stories of a young wife um, who, who decided to, um, to take action in such a way that I believe will really be a big challenge to us. And we're framing the whole morning around this idea, the importance of how we, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, the importance of how we respond, right? Because you and I are responding in our lives all day long, right? We're responding to good news, and we're responding to bad news, and we're responding to work, and kids, and spouses, and relationships, and, and marriages, and, and just across the board, we're always reacting and responding to something. Matter of fact, Charles Swindoll said it this way, that life is 10% of what happens to you, and 90% you responding to it, or your response to it, right? I've heard other people say this as well, but the idea there is that our response is important. So the importance of how we respond is a really big deal in terms of how we live our lives. And so the story today, usually when this story is told, most of the time it's kind of centered around a, a male character of the name of David. And you were here for our uh, Read Your Bible series. We talked about David, King David, and we talked about his life in great detail. He's a part of this story and sometimes is the focus of this story. But instead, we're going to focus on the character 
And the response that comes through the story, I actually think there are three responses in this story. Two you're going to find yourself in. It's very natural, uh, very common. You're going to be able to find yourself in those responses. But the third is what I would call an uncommon and an unnatural response that really kind of shows the remarkable nature and example that this this young wife, this young woman gave us. And it's going to, I believe, challenge uh, so, if you want to look in your uh, copy of God's Word, it's 1 Samuel 25. It's a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm going to put it on the screen for those watching later. Uh, for those in the room, you can look in your Bible or you can look here. I'm going to read through the New, New Living Translation, and, um, and uh, we're going to kind of dive in, because like I said, there's a lot to the story this morning. There was a wealthy man from Aon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. Just want you to know he is really wealthy, like 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats in terms of the property. Just think about how much property he actually owned. This man's name was Nabal, or Nabal, if you're from the south, Nabal, right? So it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. And his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal was a descendant of Caleb was crude and mean in all his dealings. So he had a little bit of a reputation, okay? A little bit of a reputation of how he handled things. When David, again, going back to King David, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. He said, peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I am told it is sheep shearing time, which means it's a time of celebration, a time of kind of harvest. While your, sheep, while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them, and uh, ask your own men, they'll be able to tell you that this is true. So would you be kind to us? Would you be so kind? Since we have come at a time of celebration, of harvest, please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. Again, this is David's men, 10 of his men going to this, with your friend David. David, who was a shepherd boy. David, who understands what it is to the importance of sheep. He's like, would you share some provisions with us? And David's young men gave the message to Nabal and and David's name, and they waited for a reply. Again, this is one of those things just to set up the story. We know all the characters now in the story, and and this is setting up a, a moment. This is setting up a, a kind of a, uh, the question is how, how are we going to see this story sort of play out? Because David has made a request. Would you please share something with us? We have protected uh, your people and your sheep, and, and it's a time of celebration. It's time of harvest. Would you be willing just to share some provision uh, with us? Not a really an unreasonable request. Here is Nabal's response, Okay. Who is this fellow, David? Right? Now, you're going to see from the response, he does know who David is, but I like the fact that his first response is, who is, who'd you say? What? David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? See, he knows David. He knows where David's from. He's like, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. And this is a reference to the fact that Again, in this timeline of the story, 
Uh, David was serving King Saul. He was serving the army. He was serving his master. But Saul kept trying to kill him because he knew that he was called out to be the next king. So, you know, if you know the story and remember the story, David eventually had to take his men and they sort of, they still sort of served the nation and they did what they could do, but they were constantly on the outs. They were on the run because Saul was continually trying to kill him. So he says, oh, you know, there's lots of these guys around here who have run away from their masters. He says, and I want you to read the highlighted words with me just to get the tone of of his response. Should I take what? My bread and what? My water and what? My meat that I've slaughtered for who? My shears and give it to this band of outlaws who come from who knows where. We're going to deal with the first response in terms of just what we see here in Nabal. The first response is a selfish response. But what, what do we, who is this David guy? You want me to take my meat and my bread and my beverages for my people and my shears to this group, this band of outlaws? Like, very insulting. And if we went around the room, I think the majority of us would agree that Nabal's response is selfish. It's a selfish response. However, if we were to kind of have an individual conversation, here's what I know to be true. Not everyone in this room would look and actually think that Nabal's response is wrong, right? That his response is actually wrong. And it's, and I'll just be honest, it's, the culture is very different at this time, and we're going to talk more about that through the morning, but when we read this, we oftentimes read it in our current context, in our you know, modern day culture, and our culture has a very, very big individualistic, narcissistic filter to it. So if we were to individually have a conversation about this, you might say some things like this. Well, Nabal is not under obligation to give David anything, right? Like, I understand that it is a selfish response, but doesn't mean it's wrong. He's not really under obligation to give David anything. You might also say maybe it's not wrong for David to ask, but it's also not wrong for Nabal to say no. You might argue and say, well, maybe Nabal needed, needed everything. You know, maybe, sure, he didn't respond in a kind gesture, in a kind way, but you know, he, he, you know, maybe he needed everything for what he needed to do that year for some goals that he had. Who knows? Couldn't spare anything. Maybe... Nabal actually took a moral stance with, where, you know, with what David was doing in the kingdom. You don't know that, right? You might argue that, you know, hey, listen, Nabal's, he might actually have a moral issue with this, that, you know, David was supposed to be the next king, and he's part of the Not My King movement, you know, or he's all pro-Saul, make Israel great again. Like, you don't know, right? You don't know, like, the, the issue here is Nabal might, he might actually be on the opposition. He might actually completely disagree with the rebellious nature of what David and his, and his guys are doing, and he wouldn't want to do a single thing to associate himself with them, right? To associate himself with them or to condone or, 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 or affirm any of David's behavior. And the reason we might engage in that kind of conversation is, again, because our current filter, our current day culture tells us that a selfish response is not necessarily a bad response and that our selfish response is also an acceptable response. 
that it's completely fine because, you know, you have to look after you, boo, right? Like nobody else is going to look after you. Nobody else is going to take care of you. Nobody else knows your business the way you know you. Nobody else knows your situation the way you know. It's, it's your time. It's your money. It's your effort. It's your opportunities. It's your, it's, your, uh, you know, it's your choices. It's your decisions to make. It's not anybody else's. It's nobody else's business. And so therefore, in our current culture, we would look at this and actually struggle to see why is Nabal wrong in this? Like it's a selfish response, but why is a selfish response wrong? Because we have become extraordinarily acceptable to a selfish response in our culture. And we think that God's on board with it. We do this with him. We do this with him. We do this with this church, right? Who, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, my schedule is so crazy and all the things that I have to do. There's no way I could give out, uh, give a night of my week out to go to be a part of a group. There's no possible way I could do that. I understand the importance of that, but it's just, there's just no way I could fit that in. I can, you know, my Sundays are extraordinarily important to me. I can only make about two of them a month. And when I come to church, I mean, there's so much that I need to be able to get out of church when I'm here. There's no way I can serve in kids' ministry. Like, I, I need something. Like, that's why I'm here. I mean, I need people to do it for my children, because if you don't know how to do it for my children, then I'm going to go. But, I, you know, I can't do that, right? Who is he or who is God to tell me that I have to tithe my money? That I need to give to the mission that he has. And it's like, what? who's that? Who's this, who's this person? Who's this fellow? Why would God do that? And so for us, again, we struggle a little bit. We can see ourselves. Not a single person in this room hasn't seen themselves and heard themselves internally, at least, have the conversation about mine and, and, and I can't and I won't and I can't and it's my schedule and it's my time and it's, it's impossible for me to do. We can see ourselves in the selfish response, but the problem is, is that we really don't see that response as being wrong. That it's actually acceptable for you to take care of you. And this is Nabal's response. It's a selfish response. We're going to continue the story and see some of the other responses here, but first and foremost is David. So the, the David's young men returned to David and told him what Nabal said. Now I want you to read those three words out loud. David's response. Read them out loud. Okay, I want you to read it the way you think David actually said it. Okay? Get your swords, right? Get your swords! As David's reply, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own sword. Listen, let me just go ahead and tell you why you don't want to be a preacher. I'm just going to give you some quick advice, okay? You don't want to be a preacher because God has a wonderful sense of humor. And when you have to teach something and you have to kind of relay some information and, he, and God knows you have an issue with it, he's going to find amazing opportunities to remind you, okay? So I just want you to understand, you, you, we're not going to judge David too quickly because this week your pastor has said those words, okay? I want you to understand, I have said those words. Maybe not the word sword, Okay? But we had to deal with an issue. I'm just telling you, it was Tuesday of this week, and we had to deal with an issue. It was a, it was a local government, bureaucratic, ridiculous issue that we didn't necessarily, we weren't in the wrong. It was something they did, and, and we had to, but we had to spend the time to track it down. And I'm just telling you, my response was immediately this, 
Okay? I pushed it off on Don. You can ask Pastor Don. I pushed it off on Don. He had to call. He's calling. I'm yelling across the, 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 the office. I'm like, get him, Donnie. Get him. And I'm strapping on my sword, and I'm ready to go burn the local government office down. So we're not going to judge David right away. Right? I know, I know some of you moms, you've, I've seen your put on your swords moments when you heard somebody say something to your child or your teacher did something or a principal did something. Oh, you, got, you jumped in the car with your sword. I've seen that. There's not a man in the room who hasn't had some sort of dealing with some other man and told his buddies, let's get in the truck and go. Right? So we're not going to judge him too quickly, but this is David's response. David's immediate response. Get your swords as he puts on his own. And he goes on to say that 400 men started off with David and 200 stayed behind to guard the equipment, which means he wants the lion's share of his men. God, we're going to war. I want everybody. We can leave a few to protect, but the majority are going. It says, meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. He says, these men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them, from David's, David's men. He says, nothing was stolen from us the whole time that they were with us. And I love this phrase. He says, in fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection. David and his guys, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do. Why? Because for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. It's not just going to be Nabal that's in trouble. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him right now. Okay, there's going to be problems. Like this, this servant girl went to Abigail and said, we got to fix this stat. I love the way uh, Abigail, here's the first response from Abigail. Abigail wasted what? No time. She wasted no time. Goes on to say, she quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys, and she said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. And David had just been saying, now a lot of this usually for us is internal dialogue, but David is venting to his men. A lot of good it did us to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of this household is still alive tomorrow morning. Oh, Abigail heard that. And here's the second response we see. It's the justified response. Now, again, you may, not, you may have never said, get your swords, and you're still judging me, and that's okay. Okay, I understand. But we are all guilty of the justified response. Of the justified response. Maybe, it's, maybe we don't see it as a selfish response. We have all experienced the justified response. Here's just a few examples. It's when you convince yourself that what you said is okay because of what they said and how they said it to you. It's when you don't apologize for, some, for something that you've done, for action. You don't apologize for your actions because you can quickly come up with several reasons why it wasn't that bad, why nobody should worry about it, and why they should simply get over it. 
It's when you refuse to forgive someone else for something that they've done because in your mind they've crossed the line, they've gone too far, and it's much easier to simply write them off. It's when you sort of have phoned it in, a commitment or a job or or an obligation because you've justified something that they did wrong or something that they did that you didn't like, and now this is all they really deserve. It's when you don't pay your debts or reconcile an issue because you have justified an argument in your mind that it doesn't require that. We have all, listen, I'm just saying, we are all guilty of falling into the justified response trap, just like David was. Now I want you to see as we continue this, what Abigail does. Abigail saw David. She quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. I want you, I'm going to read this. I want you to see the action the action that, that, that Abigail takes and the words she uses. She fell at his feet and said what? I accept what? All blame. Not some of the blame, not, not a little bit of the blame. I accept all blame for this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Keep going. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. Quick application, don't name your kid a name that's the root of the name is a fool. Let's just go ahead and say that, okay? Apparently, that's the problem. He said, as his name suggests, but I never even saw the young men you sent me. He says, now my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Why? Because she heard David. Let all your enemies be as cursed as you feel currently towards Nabal. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. I brought all this food. I, I brought you everything and more that you could have wanted. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. And Lord, you will surely reward you. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done anything wrong. You've not done anything wrong since you were your whole lifetime, since you were a kid. Like she not only knows his past, she knows his future. And he says, and even when you are chased by those who seek you to kill you, she knows the present of what David's going through. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch, bound by God. It's, it's that, that word language of, you know, he's got you so secure as a treasure. And then it says, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Woo, Abigail knows her history, right? She knows. When the Lord has done all that he promised and he's made you the leader of Israel, again, she knows his future. Don't let this be a blemish on your record then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when your Lord, when the Lord has done all these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. The third response, first two responses I think we can easily put ourselves in, the the selfish response, the justified response, these are very natural. But this third response is unnatural. It is unnatural common, yet it is remarkable. It is the wise response. It's the wise response. I want you to, just, again, go back to thinking, think about the actions. The actions, not just the actions, but also her words. 
She bows low. Why would a woman ever have to bow low before David? Why would she ever need to do that? Well, again, she, she knows his future. He is going to be king of Israel. And she bowed low. She accepted all the blame. She did not need to. She could have simply just, she could have sided with David in his justified response and said, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'll figure out a good way for you to kill Nabal. Like, let's work together on this, right? Because he's an idiot. She doesn't side with Nabal. She says, no, Nabal was a fool. She doesn't side with David in his course of action. Which goes back to the word she uses. Beautiful picture. The thing about a wise response is that our, our selfish responses and our justified responses, they are, so, they, are so, they are so exactly what we feel like we need in the moment because they're all short-sighted. But the wise response that Abigail does is she looks over the course of his, his life and looks over the course of her life and Nabal's life and says, there's a better course of action. And she starts to connect the dots to the action that he wants to take to his future and to the future of the household. The wise response is always thinking long-term. It's always thinking about what this is going to look like in the future versus our selfish and our justified response, which is so good in the moment, right? It's so, it's so filled with the... It, it matches the emotions of the moment. And this beautiful example of what Abigail did. Here's the results of this wise response. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense, your wise response. Bless you for keeping me, no, go back. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. And then David accepted her present, accepted the food, accepted the gift, and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. So this goes to show that everything that, that uh, Abigail sent to David, he didn't miss. He didn't need it. He was throwing a party like a king, like the king that he is. But he was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning when Nabal was uh, sober, his wife told him what had happened, and as a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on the bed like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. The end. That's already a good story, right? Like it's got everything, intrigue, mystery, drama, right? Action. I love, I actually do like the way this is recorded. You have to remember that the Old Testament was written as a, descript, as a descriptor for you and me. It was, it, was, it was not written about the things that should happen. It was written about what did happen. And, and the oral tradition in the Old Testament was given to us so that, and to God's people so that we would learn. We would learn from the history. From, that's why it's a historical document. In this moment, I love the intentionality of the words that, that his stroke came from his reaction to the news, right? Probably his blood pressure, probably just the furious nature of, of, of what he was coming off his bender, right? 
shot it through the roof, and he had a stroke because of that. And then very intentionally saying, and then 10 days later, the Lord actually took him. 10 days later, the Lord actually took his life. But the, but the, but the actual thing that happened was because of his response to her news. That's not actually the end. The story is much better than that. It says, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. <laughs> right? And they live happily ever after. That's not in there. That's the Matt Dawson version. That's not, that's not in your Bible. But that, I mean, ultimately, when you think about the story, this is something so remarkable. That Abigail's response, that Abigail's example, that, that the thing that Abigail did set her apart to the degree that, you know, he hears the news that Nabal is dead. Probably, again, justified went good, right? But in that moment, because of Abigail's actions, because of her wise response, because of what she did, he reaches out to her immediately. says, I want you to become my wife. I mean, that, that, guys, that's just a beautiful picture. Of this, of this beautiful character that we get recorded in God's Word to help us understand the power and the importance of how we respond to things. Because we're going to spend our life responding. So I want to give you three questions. Just three questions. This is, as we end, I want to give you three questions because this is such a packed passage. There's so much we can go. There's so many other little rabbit trails we can go learning from this passage and from these characters. But I, because we, we're talking about response, I just want to give you three questions about how what will, I think, challenge us to move us towards living out a wise response in our life. Okay? And the first comes from this story. What story do you want to tell when this becomes a story that you tell? See, every moment, every opportunity to respond, every season, every chapter that opens, every chapter that closes, everything in our lives becomes a story that we tell. And one of the questions you can ask to move you in the direction of having a wise response is to remember the long-term idea of what that response looks like, not to live in the short-term gain and the short-sighted nature of your emotions. But rather, think about the question, what's, what story do I want to tell when this becomes a story that I tell? I'll be honest, I have, this, I have this particular conversation with a lot of couples who are choosing to end their marriage. And I mean, just shelf the whole, like, should it happen and should it not happen and argument there. But I'm just telling you, when I meet with 20 years of ministry, when I meet with couples who are, are choosing to end their relationship, they're choosing to separate and end their marriage, and they're doing nothing but responding back and forth to one another, I do my very best to insert this question in there. What do you want your children to know about this moment five years from now? Right? Like, wh what do you want this story to be when this is a story that you begin to tell? Like, are you, and one of the things I ask is, hey, are you going to be able to be honest with your kids when they're adults about everything you said in this moment? Are you going to be able to be honest? Are you going to have to glaze over some of the details of how you responded when you set everything on fire, right? When you just, when you did this got even thing, when you, are you going to be able to do all of that? Like, trying to help move people towards, there's, there's wisdom in how we can respond, but we have to ask the question, 
we have to understand, Abigail knew this. Hey, what story do I want to tell when this is a story that I'm going to tell? Thank goodness for her good sense and her wise response to David. That's a good question to kind of push us in that, that direction. Peter actually says it's a command for us to live this way, to live this way in terms of response. In 1 Peter 3.9, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult, pe- insult you. Instead, pay them back with a, what's the word? Blessing. That is what God has called you to do. That's the word for command. That's what God has commanded us to do. He will grant you his blessing. And then he goes back and quotes David from Psalm 34. Peter goes back and and, and is making his case, but he goes back and even quotes David. And Psalm 34, where David says, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. Don't pay back evil for evil. Give them a blessing. That's what you and I are called to do. We are commended to do. And then he quotes David and says, this is who God is paying attention to. The ones who do right. His ears are open to their prayers. So the next question you can ask to move you towards a wise response is, does your response, your current response, align with God's response? See, it's so easy, I'm just telling you, it's so easy for you and me to have a selfish response, to, to, to look at what's mine and, 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 what, and what I need to do and what I need to do for me and what I have to take care of and all the things that are on my plate and my responsibility and, and, and my, you know, my response is selfish, but at the same time, we can so convince ourselves that it's acceptable and right that we put that back on God, that that's what God thinks too. It's so easy with our justified response to make that list, to make that argument, to to justify our action, to justify our response, our behavior, our words, and we can place it on God and say, well, that's what what God would want me to do. That's what he feels like. That's what he would, that's how he would handle this. And yet I've talked to people after people, uh, person after person that says, you know what, I'm having a hard time seeing God just do a work in my life and And sometimes I have to ask the question, listen, but are you living his way? Like, are you you responding in such a way that is actually aligned with his response? Because that's who he's paying attention to. That's who his prayers, that's the prayers that are being heard. But we want God to rubber stamp our justified response and rubber stamp our selfish response because we've placed it on him. So you have to start asking the question, is how I want to respond in this moment the way God wants to respond? Like, is is that what's happening? Because if I'm going to pray for God to bless my response, I sure better make sure it's the response that he's going to have. Versus dealing with the constant frustration of responding and living out response in my life that doesn't have anything to do with the wisdom and knowledge of God and then wondering why God doesn't show up, why God doesn't answer my prayer, why God isn't blessing this course of action I've decided to take. Is your response aligned with God's 
response. Where did Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry, where did Peter get this? Like, where did Peter get this? We're commanded to do this. He got it from Jesus. If you go to Matthew 5, Jesus said, you've heard the law says, basically saying culture says, your current understanding of this says to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. When you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, when you don't pay back evil for evil, and you, don't, you, you pay that back with a blessing, you're actually acting like my kid. You're actually acting like you belong to me. And then, here's the best part. Jesus loves to make things really clear, right? So Jesus then says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Right? If, uh, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. You know? Like, like understand. What do you want, a cookie? Right? Like, you're kind to those who are kind to you. You scratch their back because they scratched yours. Like, that's what pagans do. That's what evil tax collectors do. Why do you even need Jesus? And then he says this. We don't like this. You are to be, what's the word? perfect, even as your Father in heaven is what? Perfect. Oh, we don't like that word. But understand, when Jesus says this, he's just saying perfection comes because you're living out of God, because Christ is perfect. Every response that Christ is going to give is perfect. Every example that Christ gives us is perfect. Every time we move into that place of trying to become more and more like Christ, we are becoming more and more perfect like him. That's what he means. So the third question is this. Am I going to choose an in-kind response or a Christ-like response? In-kind response is just, well, they said it that way to me, so I can say it that way to them. They cheated me, so I can cheat them. They did me wrong, so I don't have to do, you know, you know again, selfish, justified, in-kind. Or Christ-like. Saw a beautiful picture, an example of that this week with Brant Jean. And I don't know if you saw this yet or not, but Brant is an 18-year-old boy, man, sorry. He's an 18-year-old man whose older brother was shot and killed in, in his home. And they were having a court hearing. They were having a sentencing hearing this week. And the family had an opportunity to give what they call a victim impact statement. So understand, this is not the trial. This is, the trial's already happened. Um, Amber Geiger, who was, who was uh, guilty, found guilty. She, she was being sentenced. And the family had an opportunity to, to share what they wanted to share. And the, the mom did and other people did. And understand, I, there's so many things about this case that are difficult to talk through because there's a lot of injustice that they're fighting through. There's a lot of issues they're fighting through. There, there's so many more things here. But I just want you to understand that what a beautiful moment this was to see not just truth in the example of truth, meaning that there's consequences for our sin, there's, there's justice that needs to be served, but also grace. Because that's what Jesus was. He was grace and truth. And so Brant takes the stand and he speaks for himself. He does not try to put this on his family, but he decides to respond in a very uncommon way. I'll read you just the response, part of his response. 
He said, I love you just like anyone else. He's speaking to Amber Geiger. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you too. And I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die in jail just like my brother did. Or I didn't, sorry, I'm not going to say I want you to go to jail and I'm not going to say I want you to rot and die like my brother did. I personally want what's best for you. Because I know that's exactly what Botham, which is his older brother, would have wanted to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. And then he asked the judge if he can go give her a hug in the courtroom. Now, sometimes it's dangerous to only highlight this portion of this because we want to kind of wash away all the consequences and justice, but God's a part of all of those things, okay? But what a beautiful picture. Not just to see justice being done, not just to see, you know, the understanding that she was, she was guilty. She'd been, she'd been declared guilty. She was being sentenced to serve for that crime. But Brant decided that I want to give an uncommon response. I want to give a Christ-like response to her. And he says, I love you and I forgive you and I want what's best for you and Jesus is what's best for you. Beautiful. Beautiful example of choosing not to do the in-kind and like-kind response but to be Christ-like. At the end of the day, guys, you know, we, we trust in the Holy Spirit, God in us, to be able to help move us to a place of the wise response, to be able to help move us to a place where we're not in our own power and our own strength because too easily we will just do the selfish and we will do the justified and we will put that back on God. But to take the time to learn from Abigail, to hear the command of Christ, that we are called, called to not repay evil for evil, not to respond in like kind, but to be Christ-like in our response in life. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful today for the overwhelming challenge to have a Christ-like response in all things. God, I, I will admit just selfishly that it's too easy. It's too easy to lean into the selfish response, to lean into the justified response, and to place it on you that that's what you would do as well, than to take the time to pray, to consider, to ask for wisdom, to look into your word, to make sure that my response lines up with your response that I'm not choosing just to do an in-kind response, but to be Christ-like, to be more and more like you, Jesus. And God, we can't do it. We just admitted this morning, we cannot do it in our own power. We can't. We see what our culture looks like, and we see the results of, of, of what we can do in our own strength. And yet, God, what a beautiful, beautiful example this week with Brand. I pray protection over him just to see that Christ-like response in a moment, to understand that that's really what you've called us to do in everything, in every area and aspect of our lives.
to be more and more like you. Thank you so much for the, for the story of Abigail and that beautiful record that was recorded for us in the Old Testament, to be able to learn from her, to be able to learn from that encounter so that we can hear the command you've given us. We can, we can take on the responsibility to be able to pray and to move towards a wise response in our life. Jesus, it's only by your grace and it's only by your Holy Spirit in us that we can do that and move in that direction. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.